The following broadcast is brought to you by Public House Media. The latest headlines. If they go out and wipe the floor with the Texans, I might buy in. The insightful interviews. Whitney McIntosh, SB Nation. I was more impressed with John Carlisle, especially when you consider Aaron Judge's all-star squad. The hottest takes. Yeah, Saquon Barkley had a great game against Iowa, but he hasn't done much. Can all be found on Press Press Row. Row. Here's your host. It's clearly time for a change. It's only a matter of time before it happens. Christian Heimel. Welcome, everybody. What is up? You're back here on Press Row. I'm Christian Heimel. So happy to have you guys here with us broadcasting as part of the Public House Media Network. Don't forget, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spreaker.com, Stitcher.com, as well as on our website at www.thephmedia.com. You can also check us out uh, on social media. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at PressRowPHM. Find us on Facebook, PressRowPodcast-PublicHouseMedia. Some fun new things uh, this week as well, actually. don't know if any of you have heard, but uh, Spreaker has now joined with Amazon. So if you have Amazon Alexa, you can also listen to us there uh, any way you want. Just uh, search for Press Row there, and you'll be able to find us and enjoy us wherever and however you prefer to listen. Big weekend sports, probably one of the busiest weeks we've had since the show began airing nearly five months ago. Everything is in full swing now. College football, NFL, as well as the NBA kicking off this week. NHL, of course, college football as well, and college basketball in the headlines a little bit as well. We're going to touch on all of it here. We've got a jam-packed show today, a big guest list uh, for you guys. We're going to talk with Jared Greenberg of NBA TV and Sirius XM NBA Radio uh, about the co- the professional basketball season opening up on Tuesday, and obviously a lot of storylines that are going to be had, but the biggest ones coming from Tuesday night are going to be obviously how the Celtics handle now the gruesome injury to, to uh, Gordon Hayward the newest member of the squad just six minutes into his Celtics career and already looks like his season is over with. We're going to hear from him, uh, from Jared, a little bit later on in the show. Also about some of the other big storylines. Is Golden State unstoppable? They lost to Houston on opening night uh, by one point. Do the Rockets have what it takes to maybe jump into the Western Conference there a little bit? Does Oklahoma City have what it takes with the additions of Paul George and Carmelo Anthony? And then, of course, can Cleveland do enough to maybe keep LeBron here this year and and some other storylines throughout the NBA. We'll touch on that with Jared Greenberg coming up in just a little bit. We also have uh, Steve Karp, who is uh, from Las Vegas Journal Review. Uh, We're going to talk with him about kind of an interesting thing here. Uh, I mean, it's been a couple of weeks, obviously, since the horrific shooting at the Route 91 Harvest Festival in Las Vegas. But if you haven't been following, Vegas is not known as a sports town Uh, just yet, but it's going to be. The Las Vegas Golden Knights, the NHL's newest team, the expansion squad, uh, had a tremendous start to the season. Their home opener was very emotional, very exciting, and we're going to be talking with Steve about that again uh, from the Las Vegas Review Journal coming up in a little bit, what it's like to cover a professional team in Las Vegas, how the city has embraced the squad. And again, they're going to be getting the Raiders here in a couple of years. So we'll see uh, exactly how the city is kind of coming together around sports now that they have that opportunity, as well as I get a chance to talk to him about how the city has been responding and coping with 
obviously the the horrific uh, incident a couple of weeks ago with so many lives lost. And you'll hear about what Vegas did in their home opener. The the Golden Knights uh, three and one at home, five and one overall. They are leading the Pacific Division right now with the best record in hockey. So uh, a lot of fun. Uh, excited to talk to him about that. And then. Uh, a big interview with Dennis Dodd, senior writer for CBS Sports. We're going to talk a lot of college football, but then also want to touch a little bit on, if you haven't heard about it, the NCAA's uh, apparent hands-off approach to the North Carolina academic fraud investigation and scandal. But we're going to focus heavily on college football with him uh, here in this one, just because uh, it is halfway through college football, seven ranked teams, including four in the top 10, losing to unranked opponents over the weekend. The biggest one, number two, Clemson, losing to unranked Syracuse on the road. Auburn losing to LSU, a number of other as well. So you're seeing some really exciting college football here as we are now halfway through the college football season. Some big games coming up. Obviously, you've got Penn State and Michigan, the number two ranked Nittany Lions at home to Michigan, coming off a difficult loss. Uh, And then, of course, Penn State with a lot of people's consideration for the Heisman Trophy is Saquon Barkley, a guy that I, I haven't really bought in on the hype yet, but we'll talk with Dennis in a little bit and see just how crazy I may be for not buying in uh, to Saquon Barkley just yet. But I want to start off in the NFL because, again, another interesting week uh, in what has happened in the NFL. And for a lot of fans, uh, some really exciting but but scary type things uh, as well. Of course, the biggest story coming out of the weekend the injury to Aaron Rodgers and his broken collarbone, what this does for the Green Bay Packers. Again, it is in his throwing shoulder, which makes it that much worse. Uh, but it, it's something that I, I see it as, as an eight-week uh, recovery thing. Obviously, he's going to need to get the, the mobility, the motion back. So who knows if he's going to be able to come back. The Packers have already suffered so many injuries on offense. They're really working with two healthy offensive linemen. Ty Montgomery, their star running back, injured as well with those fractured ribs uh, wearing the flak jacket this past week. So the Packers are certainly in a lot of trouble, and it is scary for them, especially to lose that division game to the uh, to the Minnesota Vikings. But uh, uh, that was last week, and then, and then this week, obviously, it started off with, with one of the insane games. The Thursday night football games have been really, really good to watch. Uh, so far this year, and last night was was no exception, except for it, it wasn't fun if you don't like sloppy football, and there was some of that late in the game last night between the Chiefs and the Raiders, and, and I said this uh, last week on the show, we talked with Sam Mellinger of the Kansas City Star, this stretch here, this four-week stretch uh, for the Chiefs was going to be the toughest one, in which uh, you know last week was the, the Steelers at home, they lost that game, their first loss of the year, short week on the road against Oakland uh, when the Raiders have Derek Carr back. And then next week, it's home against the Broncos, another divisional rival before going to the Cowboys uh, before their bye week here in three weeks. Uh, So last night's game, insane. If you didn't watch it, uh, you look at the last drive. There are about two minutes and 15 seconds left, uh, a little less than a minute actually when they got to midfield. uh, The Raiders did trailing by six. And then they're able to take it all the way down to the one. Jared Cook is there, but a pass interference, the right call on uh, Michael Crabtree, a pass interference that sends them back to the 10, uh, back 10 yards, excuse me, with about three seconds left. Three seconds remain uh, in the game, and the Raiders are down six. Ball thrown to the middle of the field. Uh, Cook can't hold on to the football in the end zone, but there's a defensive holding penalty that results in an untimed down. And then the very next play, 
Another incomplete pass, but another defensive holding by the Kansas City Chiefs, which puts the ball at the two-yard line uh, for an untimed down, and Michael Crabtree catches it in the front corner of the end zone. They kick the extra point and go on to win. Uh, we, we've touched on what the issues the Chiefs have are, and a lot of it was injuries to the offensive line, but discipline uh, really kind of showed up yesterday in that game. Very sloppy game, your typical AFC West, Chiefs, Raiders, chippy play, physical play. Uh, you saw Marshawn Lynch get ejected coming onto the field, shoving a referee uh, or making contact with a referee, I should say. He got ejected from the game. That really hampered. You thought that was kind of the done deal for the Raiders, but the Chiefs with those two really back-breaking defensive penalties that allowed the game to continue. Uh, and now the, the Raiders snapped their four-game st- losing streak. The Chiefs have now lost two in a row. And it seems as though with Derek Carr back, the Raiders might be on track to, to I don't want to say win the division, but at least make it interesting there with the Chiefs. So you, you really kind of wonder what's going on in Kansas City after these last two games. Fortunately for them now, they've got a, a little bit longer of a break before they welcome in the Broncos next weekend at home. And then the other big thing that came out of last night's game was Amari Cooper woke up. First time all year that we've really seen Amari Cooper uh, do well over 200 yards, receiving two touchdowns. Uh, having Derek Carr back certainly helps, but you saw the the offense start to really wake up a little bit uh, in Oakland there last night. So uh, off to a great week already here in the NFL. A couple other big games uh, that I plan on watching here, and, and the ones that I will tell you, the, the really important ones to watch this weekend are really the primetime games. I, I'm excited to see the Sunday night game, Falcons at Patriots, the Super Bowl rematch. Falcons trying to figure things out again. If that Super Bowl hangover is real, I still think it is. I've been telling you guys that since the season began. Uh, and, and if they can figure it out on the road, which is always a tough place to play, and Tom Brady playing better maybe than ever. Uh, so that game on Sunday night will be fun to watch. And then the Monday night game as well, Redskins at the Eagles, two teams that weren't really given much thought of in the a- NFC East. Uh, the Eagles probably more so than the Redskins, but I think a lot of people thought Washington would be down in that bottom pack uh, there which the Giants now currently occupy. So NFC East rivalry on Monday night in Philadelphia. Carson Wentz loving the way he's playing right now. This Eagles team is doing really well. And I still think, despite how good Carson Wentz has been this year, I still think Kirk Cousins is the best quarterback in that division. So uh, we'll watch that on Monday night. But again, the primetime games are the fun ones to watch. Bengals and Steelers could be interesting just to see if the Bengals are able to figure things out uh, a little bit there. Vikings have become interesting again now. Uh, after their win over the Packers last week, which we touched on, of course, the injury to Aaron Rodgers. And then Cardinals-Rams has gotten a little intriguing also. You look at Adrian Peterson in his debut uh, with the Cardinals this game, obviously, is in London. And then Jared Goff, who I'm starting to buy into, and the Rams in general. I love Todd Gurley. I love what they've done. I love Sean McVay. Uh, so that game's another fun one. It could be a little bit intriguing to watch. Uh, but it is the NFL. You never know what to expect. Uh, as we saw last night uh, with the Raiders and the Chiefs. going to be a fun one. Ezekiel Elliott obviously granted a stay uh, once again for the Cowboys here, so he will be playing this week. Uh, there's a lot still to be figured out with this Ezekiel Elliott, Elliott uh, case, um, but you know, there, there's so much uh, legality that goes in with this, um, and, and they just hope, you really just hope that uh, this stuff can get figured out because it is it is a pretty big distraction. The players won't say it, but um, talking with some people that I know down in the Dallas area, it has become a distraction, if not more so for the fans, but uh, it really still has become this big thing that they just can't get away from and be able to focus 
on football instead. Uh, so we'll see exactly what happens there. But as of right now, Ezekiel Elliott is playing uh, this Sunday against the 49ers. So for those of you who have him on your fantasy team, uh, best of luck to you. You're on Press Row. I'm Christian Heimel. So happy to have you here with us. Don't forget to listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spreaker.com, Stitcher.com. Share us with your friends and family. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, review, all of that fun stuff. We'll take a switch over here into the world of collegiate football. We bring in Dennis Dodd, CBS Sports Senior Writer. And uh, Dennis, this past weekend, much like it was in the NFL, we talk about it in the NCAA, uh, we really don't know much once it comes time for kickoff. Yeah, we all went in. Christian with um, with the idea of it be kind of a oh a snooze of a week. There were no games between ranked teams. I think twenty two of the twenty five were playing. There weren't many big games, but then you know look what happens for the top ten lose. Uh, the top of the playoff, I guess prospects are reshuffled, and you know and, and what's increasingly happening in this game, coaches go week to week. <laughs> Almost with their job security. You know, one week you're off, one week you're on the hot seat. And I don't, I don't know how that ever changes given the money they earn right now. It is kind of interesting to look at and see the week-to-week progression. Obviously, last week with Gary Anderson in Oregon State, a couple of other coaches potentially losing their job. There's, there's one I want to ask you about. Uh, I see this a lot in my home state of Tennessee. A lot of people saying that the volunteers are kind of ruining their program by not getting rid of Butch Jones. What's your take on, on what's happening down there in Knoxville? Yeah, I'm just kind of over it. I mean, I think we all expect Butch Jones not to be retained, but it's like watching bread go stale. I mean, what else are you supposed to say, say about it right now? I, I frankly don't know what Tennessee's missing out on by, by not getting rid of them now. Um, and on Friday, this Friday will be two months until the first early signing day. If, if Tennessee gets the right guy, I don't know if it matters. You know, if they have to wait until after uh, January 1st bowl to, to get their guy, I think they do it, and if they've got created enough momentum with the right guy, they have another signing period. So I, I don't know if it's as simple as that, but I, I don't know what they get right now uh, by firing Butch Jones except creating more chaos. All you can tell players that are interested in Tennessee right now is, you know, hey, we're going to have a good coach. I think everybody assumes that Butch Jones is gone. I don't know what's solved by getting rid of him now. He's Dennis Dodd, senior writer for CBS Sports, and I want to ask you, your recent power rankings had Miami making quite a jump. Uh, the Hurricanes, a, a team that we didn't really maybe put too much stock in preseason, but they're starting to play well now, aren't they? Yeah, they're a little bit touched by magic these last two weeks. Uh, Daryl Langham, a guy who had four career catches, went for uh, five receptions for 100 yards against Georgia Tech, including a big one to set up. The winning field goal, and he had, he had scored the winning touchdown against Florida State the week before. Uh, so they're a little bit touched by an angel. I think it was easy to forget about the, uh, Miami early because of the hurricane. They didn't play for three weeks. And Florida State game had to be rescheduled or moved around on the calendar. And no one really thought they'd be – I don't even they thought Notre Dame, or Miami would be a top-10 team this year. So far they are. Uh, there's a long way to go, but somebody's got to win that Coastal Division. And in their 14th year of being in the ACC, they haven't done so much as that. So why not? You know, if the Clemson lose Friday to Syracuse, why can't Miami simply win a division? You're absolutely right. Miami is definitely a lot of fun to watch, and they certainly help uh, in the argument for the ACC to be one of those top conferences. In that argument, a lot of people talk about the Big Ten being the best conference and how talented they are, but I've been really impressed with how Georgia 
has helped carry the mantle for the SEC. A lot of folks say it's just Alabama, but the Bulldogs have really kind of helped carry that nameplate here in the SEC this year. Yeah, they really have Georgia now, or the SEC, I should say, now have a number, you know, a second-best team, if you will. That was hard to define last year, almost like a 13-way tie for number two after Alabama with every team losing at least four games. Uh, Georgia, as we sit here right now, looks like a playoff team. It looks like they're going to run away with the East. And I would submit Kirby Smart as a national coach of the year candidate because if you took away virtually anybody's starting quarterback and what happened to Florida State and insert a true freshman who hadn't played, the season might be ruined. Instead, they've prospered under Jake from They've coached him well as more of a game manager. Uh, nothing nothing bad to be said about that. They have a great running game, and the, and the defense is really rounding in the shape. So I, as we sit here right now, halfway through the season, I expect Georgia to get you undefeated and meet Alabama. He's Dennis Don, senior writer for CBS Sports, joining us here on Press Row as we make the turn towards home in the second half of the college football season starting this weekend. Two really big matchups between ranked teams. I want to ask you, which one of these you think has the more the more impact uh, potential here this weekend. Uh, obviously, you've got 11th ranked SC traveling to South Bend to take on number 13 Notre Dame, and then in the Big Ten, you've got uh, the Michigan Wolverines at 19 coming off a tough loss against number two Penn State on the road. Which one of those do you think has more implications for the future of this season? Yeah, I you know, clearly USC Notre Dame is a playoff elimination game uh, in part because Notre Dame's independence. Um, you know, in part because that is the game between, I think, the two highest-ranked teams this week. I think that's right. Um, but, uh, yeah, Michigan having lost once, obviously, at home to Michigan State, I don't know if they're a playoff contender right now. And I don't even know if they're a Big Ten contender. And it would really it would really upset things if they, if they beat Penn State. But the, the USC-Notre Dame game really intrigues me because, Notre Dame is really back in the national consciousness for the first time in, in, in five years since they uh, played in that BCS game in 2012. After Brian Kelly went 4 and 8, after he redid the snap, after this was just a narrative, he got the first quarterback ever drafted by him in his quarter century as a head coach. So uh, if they win, if they beat USC Saturday, uh, if you haven't seen Notre Dame pipe like you're going to see after that. As we move forward in the season, it's not just obviously playoff implications, but Heisman hopefuls as well. Am I crazy for not buying into the Saquon Barkley hype and not thinking that he's the top Heisman candidate and, and still putting my support behind a guy like Bryce Love at Stanford or even Baker Mayfield at Oklahoma? Yeah, I, th- I think it's okay to to like those two guys. I don't think it's hype about Saquon Barkley. I think he's he's expanded his game. He's this year's Christian McCaffrey. Uh, he leads the country halfway through now in all-purpose yards. And his, his average per touch, 9.4 yards, is better, significantly better than McCaffrey in 2015 when he set the all-purpose yardage record. So, uh, no, I mean, and, and their teams are bound and determined to stop him first. He saw it Indiana and uh, Northwestern recently try to do that. And he still mixed them up. He had a 98-yard uh, kickoff return against Indiana starts the game, and then slogged his way through 75 yards against Northwestern, but had a 53-yard touchdown late to break the game open. Look, I'm, I'm not saying he he should be the Heisman front runner right now because I think those two guys uh, are very very good. I don't think there's a lot of hype. I, I don't think there's undue hype about him. I think he's the real deal. 
I want to touch on something outside of college football here because it's kind of been thrust into the mainstream this week, and that was the NCAA's handling of the academic fraud uh, scandal at the North Carolina. You had an article a couple of days ago that detailed uh, basically saying the NCAA has now left it wide open for academic fraud with how they mishandled everything at UNC. What exactly did the NCAA get wrong here? Uh, basically everything. Um, it's, it's now okay for any school to have any level of academic misconduct. I don't see how you get worse than North Carolina, and I'll put it in a paragraph for you. I can't think of another school that's ever had a secretary with no teaching credentials, an admitted fan of the basketball programs, grade papers that she largely didn't read, thus keeping players eligible who put two banners up at North Carolina. And that's the short answer. I could, I could fill this thing for another 20 minutes. And in, in the, the NCAA punted, I think, largely because of legal concerns. I thought they'd be sued, or they thought they'd be sued if they gave North Carolina any meaningful penalties. And that, in essence, would be the end of the NCAA because I think they'd lose this case. Uh, so they, they leaned on an obscure, not even a bylaw, just kind of a clarification of what academic misconduct was in 2014, and slapped their hands together and said, oh, nothing for us to see here. We have no jurisdiction. At the same time, saying we don't approve what happened, uh, the, the, the cops have no guns, they have no clubs, they're meaningless now. I'd be not even for the Last thing here for you, Dennis, as, as we head towards the last half of the college football season, what are some of the biggest storylines we still have yet to get figured out here? Oh, uh, well, I think the biggest right now is the possibility of two teams from one conference getting in, SEC most likely, I guess, quote-unquote, Big Ten maybe. Um, I think we're going to see a massive reshuffling of big-name coaches. Uh, you, you touched on, on Butch Jones. I think there's going to be more. Uh, and then just, you know, getting think through the fourth year of the playoffs and, and the Heisman race. I think it's going to be exciting. Dennis Dodd, CBS senior writer. We appreciate the time. Check him out, cbssports.com. Dennis, thank you so much. Christian, thank you. That's uh, Dennis Dodd, senior writer, CBS Sports. And, and again, if you haven't heard about the NCAA, and I know we wanted to talk a lot about college football there because we were in the heat of it, but college basketball is less than three weeks away right now. So if you haven't heard about the academic fraud situation at the University of North Carolina, quick synopsis for you. Uh, there were fake classes taken at the University of North Carolina uh, in which basketball players were enrolled in these classes uh, getting passing grades in this class is bumping their GPA up to be eligible by NCAA standards. Uh, and at that point, in, during this time, North Carolina won two national championships. Uh, through the investigation, the NCAA has apparently deemed no sanctions necessary because the fake classes didn't benefit just student-athletes. It benefited the entire student body as a whole, so there couldn't really be uh, any true academic fraud from an NCAA student-athlete perspective. This is an incredible lack of power, lack of sense, uh, lack of confidence in the NCAA. Um, if, if this was an actual governing body of a society of people, uh, there would be a vote of no confidence right now. And I don't see how the NCAA's board of presidents or board of trustees can't have uh, a, a vote of no confidence in the NCAA right now because you just basically set a precedent that any booster can go ahead and pay student-athletes or give student-athletes gifts so long as they give it also to a regular student at the university because it then they didn't benefit just the student-athletes. I don't understand how this is something that you don't go after. 
How is it that Mark Emmert, the president of the NCAA, didn't say anything, didn't do anything to North Carolina? Is North Carolina that powerful? How is North Carolina basketball more powerful than Louisville basketball and Rick Pitino, who just lost his job because he got uh, paid or his assistants got paid to recruit players uh, because of Adidas, uh, because of a shoe deal? How is it that we value more protecting our players, quote-unquote, even though this has been going on for 30 years, as has been well-documented since the, the pay-to-play scandal, if you want to deem it something, based off shoe companies, Adidas and Nike, paying recruits to go to certain schools that are sponsored by Adidas and then eventually sign with Adidas when they become pros. How is it that that is deemed more fraudulent than creating fake classes taught by a secretary with no teaching background who is an admitted fan of the team, how is that more fraudulent? Or how is that not as fraudulent? Just because it benefited a, you know, Joe student instead of benefiting strictly student athletes? How? I don't understand that. It, it's unbelievable to me. And if I were part of the board of trustees, I'd be calling for a vote of no confidence to get rid of Mark Emmert. I would. Because you can't have this stuff happening and setting a president and not uh, of, of really no punishment. Because now anybody can go out and do this. Anybody can do this. I don't understand it. I don't get how it's not one of the biggest things that is being cracked down on the NCAA. This truly shows that the NCAA has no institutional control, has no power, and has no desire to actually govern student-athletes. It shows that their true uh, colors are simply to make money off the talents of these young men and women. And that is what the embarrassing part is about the NCAA because I love college sports more than, than professional sports. I do. But it is getting really hard to watch this stuff knowing that so many backroom deals are happening just to be able to put these kids uh, on the floor or in competition. So uh, I, I, again, I, I would really be calling for a vote of no confidence or at least a removal of Mark Emmert after the fact that they decided to do nothing with this North Carolina academic fraud scandal. I don't get how you allow this to happen. Yet Michigan gets their banners taken down because of their final four appearances just because of a possible connection with a booster and Chris Webber. I don't get this. It's It really blows my mind how the NCAA picks and chooses where it wants to look tough on uh, scandals in collegiate sports. But we're going to try our best to, to, to move on from that again. We want to thank Dennis Dodd, CBS Sports Senior Writer. A lot of fun coming up this weekend in college football. Again, we mentioned the two big ones, uh, obviously Michigan and Penn State, and then Notre Dame hosting uh, USC and what Dodd uh, described as a de facto elimination game for the college football playoffs. So a lot of fun coming up this weekend in college football, in the NFL as well, uh, and uh, so much more to get to here on this show. Again, you're listening to Press Row. I'm Christian Heimel, part of the uh, Public House Media Network. Find us uh, all over the place, Google Play, iTunes, iHeartRadio, uh, as well as Amazon, Alexa, Spreaker.com, and Stitcher.com. You can interact with the show on Twitter, at PressRowPHM, same handle for Instagram. And then if you want to find us on Facebook, you can also do that as well at Press Row Podcast dash Public House Media. Want to move on now and talk about something that um, I've found really interesting because Las Vegas to many people is an entertainment and a gambling capital uh, of the world, but it's going to have to start becoming a sports town. 
um, strictly because there are a couple of pro teams, one already there, another one on its way in a couple of seasons. Uh, the Las Vegas Golden Knights, the expansion squad for the NHL, uh, a great record right now, 5-1 and one atop the Patrick division in the NHL, 3-1 and one at home. Uh, a very emotional home opener last week for them in which they went out with a, a big win over Arizona. And of course, uh, this is the first real time that pro sports, a pro sports team can call Las Vegas home. You've got UNLV. You've got a num- number of other college basketball tournaments that go on there. Obviously, the NBA G League is held in Vegas. But this is the first time that a professional sports team has been able to call Las Vegas home. Uh, it, it's kind of a new era in, in Las Vegas and Steve Karp. Uh, covers the Golden Knights for the Las Vegas Review-Journal. He was at the home opener uh, last week, a very emotional home opener, and Steve joins us now here on Press Row. Steve, if you, uh, real quick, if you could take us back to last week, obviously the emotions of the Route uh, 91 Harvest Festival and the, the shootings that happened there, but then for Las Vegas and its home opener, the first time a professional sports team has debuted itself in front of Las Vegas and calling Las Vegas home. Take us through the emotions of that home opener last week. You know, it kind of shifted uh, in terms of emotions. Originally, it was going to be a real celebration of Las Vegas having its first major league professional sports team, finally playing a game at home. And then, of course, the uh, events of October 1st unfolded, and uh, the team had to quickly shift gears to uh, kind of tone things down, and it took on a more somber and uh, kind of almost funeral-type uh, atmosphere. But then the team got off to the 3-0 start, uh, or actually a 2-0 start, and it kind of gave people uh, a bit of a lift, and it suddenly it, it went back to being a bit of, uh, of a celebratory mood. So we had all these different emotions running through the arena that night, and uh, I know the team hit all the right courts, with the pregame ceremony, it was done very tastefully, not too open the top, sad, but very respectful. And then it quickly shifted into uh, normal hockey mode where the fans were chanting, go Knights, go, and, you know, they're, they're playing the Coyotes and, and jumped them uh, early and built a 4 nothing lead. And, and pretty soon it was really another normal night, as you would have found in any NHL arena. How has the city kind of embraced this team? Because I wouldn't think that hockey would be the first professional sport that makes its debut in Las Vegas, but but how has the city kind of rallied around this team? Well, they're, they like the fact that the team's winning. They're 5-1 to start, and not only anyone's predicting that. So uh, everyone's pretty fired up about this team, to be honest with you. You know, the Raiders are struggling. They're not even here yet. They're not going to be here for at least another three years. And uh, right now, the Golden Knights are kind of capturing the city's fancy and everyone, uh, even people who don't really know hockey and don't follow it, uh, are very, uh, very into it. They're very excited about having a team to root for. It's definitely taken an edge off of uh, the tragedy. It's helped kind of bring the city together. It's given people a point to rally around. And you can see it before every game when they honor some of the heroes from October 1st and, and the standing ovations that these people receive, and, and then once the game starts, the fans are quickly into the game. And uh, so I think it's been very important, and I think the city is uh, is already having a hockey team. He's Steve Karp, covers the Golden Knights for the Las Vegas Review-Journal. Talk a little bit about Derek Anglin, because he's a Las Vegas Valley guy. He's been around there for a very long time, has a home there. Uh, what's this been like for him 
to be able to play basically in front of a home crowd on the first professional team in Las Vegas? Well, having known Derek for when he played here with the uh, Las Vegas Wranglers when he was in the ECHL, I can tell you he's very proud to uh, call this place home. He's very excited to be part of something new. And as his career winds down, he's played at very high levels before. He's arguably been uh, Vegas' best defenseman. He's played very steady. He's uh, one of the assistant captains. And I, I think he's uh, been a great guy in the room for his teammates. And uh, everyone likes him inside the, uh, the nice locker room. And obviously the fans uh, were very receptive to his speech. And, of course, he scores a goal. Uh, just a few minutes after giving that speech, which kind of was uh, a bit of a Hollywood-type ending, if you will, or Hollywood script. But, uh, yeah, no, he's uh, he's a big part of this, and he's going to be around this team long after he's done playing. What's this been like for you and maybe some of the other professional sports writers who, who now get to cover a professional sports team as opposed to just UNLV or college basketball tournaments or the NBA G League? What's this been like uh, for you guys? How have things maybe changed that now a major league professional sports franchise calls Vegas home? Well, I can speak for me personally. Uh, it's a lot more work and a lot longer hours than I enjoyed when I covered UNLV basketball or when I covered boxing or or anything else in the 29-plus years I've been in Las Vegas. But there, there's something special when you're covering the biggest beat in town and people are following you and they see you, you know, getting coffee and they want to talk hockey with you. Or if you're in a restaurant or at the supermarket, they see you and they recognize you from your work and they say, uh, you know, what's it like? And, and I just tell them it's, it's fun, it's, it's hard. But, uh, you know, I grew up with hockey. I grew up playing it back in New York. It's always been my first love. And, and for me, it's a great way for me to uh, culminate my career. So I'm enjoying it. As you mentioned, the team on the ice playing very well, 5-1 and one sitting atop the Patrick division, uh, still early in the NHL season. Uh, we mentioned Derek Engeland, uh, obviously guys like James Neal, um, Marc-Andre Fleury, despite being on injured reserve now. Those stars, those big names that uh, the Knights were able to acquire in the expansion draft, how much do you think that kind of helped maybe elevate the fanfare for this team? Well, the knowledgeable hockey fans knew who Riley Smith and David Perron and, and Cody Eakin were, and, and along with James Garrison and Lucas Spies and Nate Schmidt. So they, for them, it was no surprise. They, they were optimistic from the get-go. But uh, to get uh, the kind of play they're getting from these guys, from all four lines, a guy like Pierre Edouard Delmar and uh, Will Carrier and Thomas Nostick, their fourth line, uh, they, they played really well. Brendan Leipzig, who was in the Toronto organization, uh, he's already got like four or five assists. And then they bring up Alex Tuck from Chicago. And honestly, he should never have been sent down, but he, uh, he was uh, – he has some waiver room for them to use, you know, but he's back and he's not going back now. So all these guys uh, can play, and a lot of them are NHL veterans. They know the league. They know how to perform. And, uh, yeah, well, it's a surprise they're 5-1. It's not a surprise they're competitive every night. He's Steve Karp of the Las Vegas Review-Journal joining us here on Press Row. Last thing here for you, Steve. Uh, you mentioned the Raiders coming to town in a couple of years, still waiting for their stadium to be built. But 
How can Las Vegas become maybe that penultimate location or destination for professional athletes uh, in years to come? Could we see an expansion maybe where an NBA team or a Major League Baseball team calls Las Vegas home? Well, I definitely think the NBA is coming with the uh, the news uh, yesterday that the WNBA is officially coming to town with San Antonio moving their team to uh, Mandalay Bay this summer. And I think that's a precursor for the MGM to uh, have an NBA team at some point in the next couple of years. So it definitely will uh, happen. Baseball certainly is interested. They're going to break ground on a new ballpark right next to the Golden Knights practice facility for the uh, minor league team. But they certainly could expand it if they needed to to uh, accommodate major league baseball. But, yeah, I mean, if you're an athlete, this is a pretty good place to live. The weather's great. There's no state income tax. Uh, the city's big, but it's got a small city, city feel to it. And I can tell you for a fact that a lot of the, the nice players were pleasantly surprised to find out that it's pretty normal around here in their neighborhoods where they live. Uh, they, they probably had some preconceived notions of previous business here that life began and ended on the uh, strip, and that's not the case, obviously. So I think going forward, you're going to see a lot of uh, athletes, a lot of free agents at least take a look at Las Vegas and, and maybe play for the Gold Knights, which could only enhance their uh, chances of being successful long-term. Steve Carp covers the Las Vegas Golden Knights for the Las Vegas Review-Journal. We appreciate the time, Steve. Best of luck the rest of the way with this team. Thank you for having me on. That's Steve Carp of the Las Vegas Review-Journal, talking the Las Vegas Golden Knights. And again, uh, it was an emotional uh, home opener for them, but this is a team that is is actually pretty good if you look at it. Again, five and one coming off a, a five four overtime win, their second overtime win already this year. Uh, they beat Buffalo on Tuesday, back in action coming up this Saturday against the St. Louis Blues. Their lone loss was uh, at home to Detroit uh, last Friday. So uh, a very talented squad. Obviously, you look at some of their uh, look at their roster and their names on here again. The expansion draft kind of worked where. It was just basically taking guys from from other players, and they've got some legitimately talented guys on this team. Uh, Mikhail Grabowski, I, I really like uh, the 33-year-old, and then of course uh, you've got a tremendous left winger in James Neal, who leads the squad with eight eight, eight points already. David Clarkson is another really talented one uh, defensively. Um, you look at what they're able to offer with players like a John Merrill or a Jason Garrison or Derek Engeland, and then the goalie. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury, who is just the ageless wonder at 33, has had a couple of Stanley Cups under his belt. So uh, really talented squad here, really fun to watch. Um, and, and if you haven't had a chance to, to really kind of see what a, a game is like uh, in Las Vegas, just go check out their Snapchat because it, it is kind of um, an exciting uh it's Vegas. It's how Vegas is going to do sports, and it's really, really cool to see, and it's great to see the city kind of embracing Las Vegas, especially after the tragedy, again, of the Route 91 Harvest Festival and the shootings and the 58 lives lost uh, a couple of weeks ago. So we thank Steve so much for his time. Wish all the best to, to Vegas uh, throughout this in their inaugural season there, and hopefully some some more fun when the Raiders come to town in a couple of seasons. You're on Press Row. I'm Christian I'm So happy to be here with you again as part of the Public House Media Network. As well, you can find us on Google Play, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spreaker.com, Stitcher.com, and now Amazon Alexa as well. Also check out our website, thephmedia.com. Don't forget to find us on social media. You can search for us on Twitter and Instagram, at PressRowPHM. 
as well as find us on Facebook at Press Row Podcast Public House Media. A lot more going on uh, in the world of sports. There's been a lot of things to discuss and to talk about. Obviously, this is a huge busy time now. Again, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. Absolutely love, love the um, the time in October here because you've got the baseball playoffs, which we'll touch on in just a little bit. NFL, NCAA football in full swing. College basketball practices starting, so you're getting all the preseason polls coming out as well. NHL and the NBA starting up uh, also and really kind of getting to go back into the uh, excitement that is uh, the world of sports here in October. Uh, I do want to mention kind of a, a fun story that if you haven't had a chance to hear about it, it's been gaining a lot of attention recently. Uh, but the Philadelphia Eagles, and we talked about this a little bit, the Eagles, I think, have one of the more exciting teams in the league right now, and I love Carson Wentz. But um, their defensive end, Chris Long, who has um, already decided uh, to, to do something really, really cool here, Um he signed a two-year deal worth $4.5 million. Um, but what he has done is, is he has decided that this entire season, he's going to donate his game checks to charity. Uh, he grew up in Charlottesville, Virginia. So after the uh, violent protest that happened in Charlottesville in August, he announced that he was going to donate his first six game checks to Charlottesville area charities to be able to help uh, raise money for scholarships for students in Charlottesville. Now what he's going to do is he's using his next 10, the rest of his game checks, to launch what he's calling the Pledge 10 for Tomorrow campaign. Uh, it, it's an opportunity now to raise money for other uh, opportunities and other charities throughout. So he's going to donate each one of his game checks to different charitable organizations across the country here over the last uh uh, 10 weeks here, which is just incredible to think because this is a guy uh, who is, again, making a guaranteed $1.5 million uh, out of his two years. His base salary this year alone is a $1 million. So he's donating so much money uh, to, to other areas. Um, every single one of his game checks is going to charity. So good on you, Chris Long. It's, it's, it's an awesome thing to hear and to see guys really being able to step up, especially considering... Uh, so many things going on off the field uh, that get a negative bit of publicity. So good on you, Chris. Um, love hearing that stuff. Uh, and again, a lot of it, what his main goal is, is to to increase educational equality. So we talk about social injustice, racial inequality, and all that stuff. But a lot of it, again, starts with education. And to see Chris Long start to do something like that is, uh, is great. Uh, love to see it. Um, big props to him. And hopefully... Maybe you don't follow his lead completely, uh, but you'd love to see more people actually do those types of things and help people out um, in, in the world, especially because, I mean, the adage is knowledge is power, and, and, and that is absolutely true. Uh, the better we get, the smarter we get, um, the more we can help each other uh, and become a little bit of a better society there. So good on Chris Long. If you haven't had a chance to, to check that out, please um, you know, Google it, uh, look for exactly what he's doing, and maybe maybe learn about some some initiatives that maybe you could be a part of as well. As mentioned, this is one of those times uh, in the world of sports where everything kind of comes together and we're really excited for it. Uh, The NBA season starting up this week, obviously uh, two really big games on opening night Tuesday, the Celtics traveling to Cleveland, Kyrie Irving returning to the Cavaliers after the trade in the offseason, the Houston Rockets heading to Golden State, the New Look Rockets with uh, Chris Paul and uh, James Harden there. Uh, But the big storyline on Tuesday night, 
the injury to Gordon Hayward uh, broke his leg having surgery in Boston. Looks like he's going to miss the entire year. There, there are is optimism he may be back, but who knows uh, what's going to happen. But uh, the NBA season is here after a very long and exciting uh, and newsworthy offseason for the NBA. Uh, we're finally playing basketball once again. Jared Greenberg knows all about it. He is a host on NBA TV as well as Sirius XM Radio, uh, Sirius XM NBA Radio. Uh, you can check him out on both of those places. And Jared, uh, before we get into all the nooks and crannies and storylines of this NBA season, uh, how do the Celtics kind of survive now without Gordon Hayward and and uh, where do they go from here after the horrific injury just six minutes into the season on Tuesday night? Well, it's crazy. Um, you know, I think, unfortunately, it, it might take an injury like this for maybe the average basketball fan or the average sports fan to truly appreciate how good of a basketball player Gordon Hayward is. You know, out maybe in the abyss kind of in, in Utah, start his career, people didn't um, see him all that much on national TV, but just the fact that he was an all-star in the Western Conference last year uh, should give you a bit of an idea of, of how how much his game is thought of. Um, you know, such a dynamic scorer and a guy who's not the best defender, but really, I think, would have helped the Celtics uh, because of how versatile he is. He can guard, you know, three different positions. Um, so he's going to be missed. There's no question about it. I mean, just like if you take him off of Utah, and I don't think the Jazz are a playoff team anymore, you can't say that him – not being available at the Celtics it isn't going to have a negative impact. You know, um, you have to appreciate what he brought to the table. But I think um, it provides an interesting opportunity for Kyrie Irving. I think we have to see if, you know, Kyrie, who so much pressure is on him and so much scrutiny for him to to um, perform at a high level to kind of prove, not necessarily to himself, but, you know, it seems like we all want him to meet this expectation of, all right, well, are, are you solely, is your success solely dependent on being with LeBron or can you win independent of him? Um, I don't think anybody in the right line feels like the Celtics can be better than the Cavs right now, but I think we want to see Kyrie continue to be committed to what we've seen in the preseason and, and through the first couple games, which is a team-style approach, ball movement. You know, don't be like this ISO guy like a Russell Westbrook type. Yeah, you're a dynamic forward and you're a big threat, but you're even more dangerous when the opponent doesn't think you're very predictable. Um, and I think that ultimately, listen, the East is not very strong. I think there are some really good teams that we don't necessarily consider, but the Celtics still can be a top four team in the East. I just think it's going to be really tough um, for them in the playoffs to to advance beyond the second round when the have teams like Washington, uh, Toronto, Milwaukee, plus of course Cleveland. You mentioned Kyrie and his uh, trade kind of epitomized how busy this offseason was in the NBA with all the trades of the free agency and whatnot. When you look back at this summer, uh, what's the overall theme that sticks out in your mind for the NBA? I think it's that while talk has been about super teams we're talking about more super teams so for me i love that there was a couple of teams out there specifically in the western conference that said you know what yeah we know that golden state is really talented we know it's going to be an uphill battle to even give them a fight but we're not just waving a white flag which seemed to be what the perception was around the nba last year that since you can't beat them you might as well not use any resources or compromise any future assets to at least attempt to be competitive. Now I think you see teams like Houston, Oklahoma City, teams like Minnesota, uh, to an extent Denver, um, and then you look in the Eastern Conference and, and what some teams uh, did there, certainly with Boston, is that they're saying, okay, listen, 
yeah, Golden State is great, but an injury here or there, or us being a little better than we thought, you got to win with talent. And I think there's been a, a, a seismic shift in philosophy on how to build a roster. I think, you know, you, you think of defense wins championships, you think of chemistry and style wins over anything else. Now it's offense wins championships, and you do it with having more talent than the other team, uh, even if it means that that talent necessarily on paper or based on some analytical data that you have doesn't seem to mesh perfectly. You take your chances with having the best players versus the best system. He's Jared Greenberg, NBA TV, as well as Sirius XM NBA Radio, joining us here on Press Row. Uh, when we look at the Western Conference, it seems as though somehow they're going to be more fun to watch this year than last year. You look at Chris Paul moving to the Rockets, Carmelo Anthony, Paul George in Oklahoma City, Lonzo Ball with the Lakers, obviously the Warriors and the Spurs there. What's going to be the most intriguing part of the Western Conference to watch this season? I think the race for number two. You know, um, for, for Golden State, I would, you know, I, I haven't found one person that doesn't think they'll be the, the best team in the West. Now, is there a chance that they can get complacent here in the regular season and some other team puts pedal to the metal and, and surprise us or an injury affects us? Sure. But ultimately, for Golden State, none of that matters. It's about them getting to another NBA Finals and, and winning another title. That's how they're measured. But in terms of the rest of the West, I think it's the race for number two. Um, is the moves that Houston and Oklahoma City, the moves that they made, do they position themselves to um, get that second spot and, and avoid Golden State for as long as they can until the Western Conference Finals? Uh, San Antonio, which has been on this incredible run, uh, now with Kawhi Leonard starting the season with an injury. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge gets off to a monster start after getting a contract extension. Does that continue? Once Kawhi comes back, can LaMarcus and Kawhi find some middle ground where both can find success despite the fact that you know, the eye test tells you that on the court, their styles don't really mesh. You can't have both those guys' teams um, be at their best uh, together. Um, and, and Greg Popovich has kind of admitted to some of that and, you know, is working through that. And they got a great performance out of the gate from LaMarcus. Um, so will the Spurs continue to be the Spurs? And then who is the newcomer here? Um, you know, I think that we're excited with Jimmy Butler joining Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins. But are Wiggins and Towns going to be committed to the defensive side of the ball? And will their offensive numbers, which has been tremendous the last couple of years, start to translate to wins? Will Jimmy Butler be able to, to impact that? Uh, for me, the, the team to, to watch on, on uh, is Denver. Um, you know, I know that they had a disappointing opening night loss to, to Utah, but I think that their, their mix of, of incredible young talent that, that has so many people just glued to, to NBA League Pass every time the Nuggets play with Jokic and Murray and Harris, um, with now some veteran not just veteran leadership, but veteran talent. A guy like Paul Millsap that, you know, he seems like he's a perfect guy to put next to Jokic. Um, and then now you're going to sign Richard Jefferson, who still given pretty solid minutes to the Cavs and, and the leadership he can bring there. I, I think they're a team. So, it's you know, who's number two? Can, can the Spurs continue their consistent, dominant run, uh, even through injuries, with Tony Parker not back yet? And then who's next? Minnesota, Denver, um, who, who's next to, to break into this pack? You mentioned youth, and that was kind of a common theme for a lot of these squads. Seems like there's a lot of good young teams in the NBA. I'm going to give you your choice of four teams. You have to choose one to watch the entire season, do or die, no matter what they do. Uh, in the East, you, you got the 76ers with Malik Monk and Trust the Process, or you've got uh, the Milwaukee Bucks. And then in the West, uh, it's either the Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, as you mentioned with Jimmy Butler and Tom Thibodeau, or uh, is it the L.A. Lakers with Lonzo Ball? Well... I'd like to say the answer is the Bucks because I think 
as we saw already, Giannis Antetokounmpo, he got the challenge from Kobe over the summer to win MVP. Man, seems like he came out motivated, 35 points opening night win in Boston. Um, you know, they call him a Greek freak most of the time because you can't pronounce his last name, but he truly is a freak of nature. Um, this kid, and he's only, you know, what, 22, 23 years old, and, and he's, it seems like he's still growing. Um, the, the things that, that, that he is not good at, he continues to get better at. Um, and, and just how he plays at his size, there's nobody in the NBA that, that can defend him because it's, it just doesn't make sense. He's so good. You know, if they, it'll be interesting to see when they get Jabari Parker back. Hopefully it's, it's staying around maybe February, if not maybe even a little later. But, but if they if they can stay healthy with the pieces they have with Chris Middleton and some of these other young guys, Brogdon, uh, they're going to be a really dangerous team. Um, but then the other one is interesting is the Lakers. You know, I, I don't think the Lakers have any chance of making the playoffs. Um, but as Magic Johnson said, and it seems quite obvious, this year is about proving to the upcoming free agent class that the young core of Lakers, like Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram and, and whoever else may uh, step up, whether it's Randall or Nance or Clarkson or, or Kuzma, who had an unbelievable preseason, that these guys are good enough after their first, second, or third year, depending on where they are in the league, that a marquee free agent, obviously the big one being LeBron, is willing to go play for the Lakers and doesn't feel like he's going to have to take a step back by doing so because this year that team in L.A. proved that just adding a LeBron or maybe also adding a Paul George or whoever else may factor into this decision is good enough to be plugged into this lineup with these young guys and they can go challenge the Warriors for a title because I think the thing – the main storyline for this year is, is this the last run for LeBron in Cleveland? Does he really want to go from going to the finals every single year in Cleveland to going to a place like L.A. and play for the Lakers where it may take a couple of years to get this team good enough to contend with the top teams in the West, especially LeBron. He's in his 15th year. In his 16th and 17th year, does he want to try and you know build this team up or does he want them to be ready-made? So the Lakers and Magic Johnson have a lot to prove. That's why I think I, you know most people would be glued to them every night just to see – the progression of Ball and, and, and Ingram and, and, and whoever else they determine is going to be a part of that future. He's Jared Greenberg of NBA TV as well as Sirius XM NBA Radio. Uh, you mentioned Lonzo Ball, and I feel like we've been christening him Rookie of the Year since he first set on the floor at UCLA last year. Uh, is there a reason why he doesn't win Rookie of the Year, or should we just stop asking questions and solely focus on him? Well, you know, what, what makes Tatum um, tough is that you know, not, not, now listen, it happened last year with, with Malcolm Brogdon going to the playoffs and winning rookie year, but that was a weird class. There just wasn't much to choose from. Uh, not to downgrade or insult Brogdon because he had a great year, uh, but Tatum's going to be on a team that even with, with an injury is, is expected to, you know, go go to the playoffs, and usually that type of guy doesn't put up the numbers to warrant rookie of the year votes, but now with this injury to Hayward, maybe, maybe it does open up some more spots for Tatum. For me, I would say reasons why Paul wouldn't win it, I would point to uh, Dennis Smith Jr., you know, I think that Dallas is clearly in a rebuild mode, and Rick Carlisle, the first time probably since Jason Kidd, has a guy that night in, night out, he knows he can put in as, as his starting point guard. You know, they traded for Rondo a couple of years ago. That didn't work. But it seems like there's been like this combination of guys. Carlisle's tried to um, play his point over the last several years, and none of them have emerged as the guy. Uh, now he's got one. And Dirk is still there, and they've you know, got sort of build a core with Harrison Barnes and Wesley Matthews Jr., but they're not a team that most feel can contend for a playoff spot. So you know, they're okay to, to throw him out there every night in the fire and let him grow and learn and take some 
some of the hits you're going to get from going up against uh, all these great point guards we have in our league. Um, you know, I think, you know, look at Darren Fox in Sacramento, another type of situation there. Um, he can play with a couple of veterans on the court with George Hill, uh, but they're a team probably not going to the playoffs, so he'll still get a lot of run, put up a lot of a lot of numbers. Um, I think there's a lot of really good candidates. And, you know, Philadelphia, um, don't forget, you got two candidates again this year with, with Simmons and Fultz, both eligible for the rookie of the year. And the start that Simmons got off to, why, you know, why not put him in the mix? So, you know, I, I know most of uh, ball is the favorite. I, I personally predicted Dennis Smith Jr., but I think Simmons, uh, Fox, I, I think um, those guys to, to make a big run at rookie of the year work. Denny Smith, definitely a fun pick there at number nine uh, out of North Carolina State there for the Mavericks. Are, are we heading towards a fourth straight Cavs-Warriors finals, or is there a team on either side in either conference that could maybe knock one of those two off? I think, um, you know, like I said, the East, it's bad. I'm, I'm not going to try and sugarcoat it, but I, I think when, when we focus on how bad the East is, it's really, really bad at the bottom, like really, really bad. I think the few teams at the top – while it, it appears that they're not at the level or even close to the level of, of Golden State or Cleveland, I'm really going to be curious to see how Washington evolves because they're the one team that, sure, they may not have the depth of some of these other teams, but Beal and Wall are, are, are really, really good. They're going to be you know, right up there in the conversation this year for the, for the best backcourt right up there with Steph and, and Clay is the best backcourt in basketball, uh, probably uh, you know, second or third in that conversation. Um, but they're a team that brought everybody back. When you think about teams around the NBA, the majority of them, including Cleveland, um, have questions about how they're going to integrate new pieces, or they have questions about you know the age of their players, or um, you know if they can continue to get better in certain areas. You know, Washington, they're bringing back their same team, and while I'd like to see them maybe at some point add some, some more bench depth or some, some more scoring. Um, Right now, I think with Wall and Beal, uh, they're going to pose a big threat because they're not trying to, you know, by Christmas figure out who they are. They started the season running. They know who they are um, to a certain extent. Milwaukee, too, but they're young, and they're trying to uh, get these guys to take the next step. Toronto's interesting because they're bringing back essentially the same team, except for the fact that they're playing a whole new style. Uh, Toronto has now evolved with the, uh, the, the, the day of age where, you know, you've got to shoot from the outside and, even a team that's been known as the, the number one isolation team, and DeMar DeRozan, who's the mid-range king, they're going to be shooting a lot of threes. If you're on the court for Toronto this year, if you're the point guard or if you're the center, you're going to be asked to shoot threes when you're left open. So the Raptors, while they, their, their personnel is familiar, their style has changed. So how does that kind of work out for the year? Um, so, you know, I, I would think Washington is the biggest threat uh, in the East, but um, you know, certainly keep an eye on, on Toronto. Certainly keep an eye on Milwaukee. And don't count out, don't count out Boston just yet. Last thing for you, Jared. Uh, more likely scenario here next June because I feel like this whole off season was leading up to these two questions. More likely thing to happen next summer: the Warriors are hoisting another uh, championship trophy, or LeBron James is staying put in Cleveland. I mean, I think the easy answer there is the Warriors, uh, just because this seems like it. It, it could be. Um, it could be the best collection of, of talent we've ever seen on one roster. The things that this team is, is capable of doing uh, offensively and, and also defensively, but primarily, you know, we, we focus in on, on them scoring. Um, you know, I don't even think we've come close to seeing the Warriors the best. And now, listen, will, will they be motivated to, to show us that throughout the course of the regular season when they know that whatever they do in the regular season, whatever record, whatever they do in terms of beating up their opponent, doesn't matter because 
they saw what happened when they won 73 games and set the single-season record and then fell short in the finals and had an epic collapse. And, and, and that season was all about Golden State not winning the title, not about their 73 wins. So I think they're going to go into that mindset. I think if they happen to stumble into, which this team is good enough to stumble into 70 wins this year, they'll do it. Um, but, but for them, the curiosity is, will they get complacent? Will they be motivated? Will they um, put on the show for us night in and night out that they have the last several years? They're certainly capable of it, and I think that, that to me, would be the bigger surprise if, if the Warriors weren't uh, winning a title. Um, you know, I, I would say if they don't win a title, I'm questioning whether an injury or did somebody make another trade on another team that just surprised the heck out of us, which is very possible based on how this summer went, and, and this team just found the, the, the formula to, to slow down the Warriors, because right now uh, that's not out there by anybody. He's Jared Greenberg. You can find him on NBA TV, host of 10 to Tip, as well as Monday through Friday on Sirius XM NBA Radio, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. with Brendan Haywood, hosting Out of Bounds. Jared, we appreciate the time. Enjoy the basketball, bud. Christian, you got it, man. I always appreciate you having me on. It's Jared Greenberg, NBA TV. You can also find him on Sirius XM NBA Radio. Appreciate the insight there. And uh, listen, it's, it's a rough start to the season for, for a couple of teams. Obviously, Jeremy Lin's injury in Brooklyn. Then, of course, uh, Gordon Hayward's in Boston. Uh, I mean, who, who knows? It really definitely, I felt going into the season, the Celtics did enough in the offseason to make them the top dog in the East. Uh, and I think even with the injury, they kind of proved that they could be that. Uh, it coming down to a, a missed three by Kyrie Irving on opening night against Cleveland, but then the home opener losing to Milwaukee, which is a, a very talented team uh, with Giannis Antetokounmpo and everybody else there. Um, so we'll, we'll see how it happens. Uh, the West is going to be a lot more fun to watch this year. I don't think Golden State rolls. I think it'll be very interesting. Uh, the Spurs are always tough. Oklahoma City is going to be fun to watch. There's a lot of intrigue this year. This might be the, the first time in probably about good 15 years where I'm really excited to watch the NBA just because you don't know what's going to happen. There's a lot of different storylines. There are a lot of great players to watch, a lot of really intriguing teams to watch. So it should be fun. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see exactly what goes on, but we appreciate Jared's time. Again, to go follow uh, him on Twitter, Jared S. Greenberg. Uh, you can catch him on Sirius XM NBA Radio as well as on NBA TV. You're on Press Row. I'm Christian Heimel. So happy to have you guys here with us broadcasting once again as part of the Public House Media Network. Don't forget, you can get involved with the show a number of ways. Find us on Instagram and Twitter at Press Row PHM. You can find us on Facebook, Press Row Podcast dash Public House Media. And you can also email the show, PressRowPHM at gmail.com. Don't forget to like us, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spreaker.com, and Stitcher.com as well. One last thing to touch on here before we wrap up today's show, uh, uh, this week's show, and uh, thank you guys again so much for listening. Don't forget, we actually have a brand new website as well that you guys should check out, uh, thephmedia.com. Check that out. You can find us as well as all the other Public House Media podcasts uh, right there on that website. Uh, of course, we are in the heat of baseball's postseason. One team has already punched its ticket to the Fall Classic in the Los Angeles Dodgers, while there is still one series to be decided. And Man, you got to be impressed with the Dodgers here. They were playing like the best team in baseball throughout the entire season, except for maybe August and September. They kind of struggled a little bit, but they've really turned it on here in the postseason, sweeping the Diamondbacks uh, and then winning uh, five game in five games against the Cubs. And, and last night's game, who would have thought? I mean, uh, Kike Hernandez, uh, a guy who's been around a couple of different teams for, for a couple of different years, but first player in postseason history to, to win 
uh, or excuse me, to hit three home runs and have seven RBI in the same game. Obviously, we remember Reggie Jackson's three home runs in the World Series did not have seven RBI in there, but the Dodgers heading back to the World Series for the first time since 1988, which is pretty impressive to think about. You look at what they've done, how they've won certain games. You look at like uh, uh, Justin Turner's walk-off in Game 2, 29 uh, 29 years to the day after Kurt Gibson's walk-off home run in the uh, the playoffs uh, in the World Series back in 88 as well. But uh, what I was more impressed with other than Kike Hernandez, obviously, which was impressive, uh, the one I was most impressed with was Clayton Kershaw. Six innings, one run, five strikeouts. Uh, this is what we have wanted to see from, from Clayton Kershaw for his entire career. He has been uh, so dominant in the regular season, and we've been waiting to see him really change it around in the postseason. Um, you know, he he really has been tremendous uh, again, six runs, one uh, six innings, one run, five strikeouts, and just three hits. You look at him here in the postseason so far. This has been impressive for him. Three starts in the postseason. Uh, he is two and zero with a three six three ERA, uh, seven earned runs, uh, which is, but sixteen strikeouts and just two walks. We're starting to see the Clayton Kershaw that we are used to seeing. Obviously, the one win he did not get was in uh, the the other game uh, against uh, Chicago. I believe that was game one where he gave up two runs in five innings, uh, but the team still ended up winning that game uh, five to two. So Kershaw has already been announced as the starter for game one in the World Series. The question is who will he face, and and we may find that out tonight because uh, the Yankees are up three games to two uh, over the Houston Astros, but that series is now in Houston, so we'll see what happens there. The Astros have not lost at home yet this year, but the Yankees, I, I, I got to be honest, I'm really impressed with what they've done so far just because that bullpen has really proven the fact, and I've said it multiple times on the show, that that bullpen is the best bullpen there is in baseball, uh, and they've really helped that out. And you've seen that uh, shutting down the Astros lineup, the best offense in uh, baseball over the last couple of months. So it's really impressive to see what they have done. Um, it's going to be fun to watch here uh, today in Game 6 when it's Justin Verlander against Luis Severino. Can Verlander throw another gem like he did in Game 2? A complete game uh, win for him in which, obviously, the Astros walked it off and held that two games suddenly. But the Yankees, I mean, you got to be impressed. Gary Sanchez finally showing up in Game 5. Aaron Judge has been very impressive this year uh, in the postseason. As a rookie, we weren't expecting really these young guys to be able to do all of this stuff. But uh, it's so impressive to see what the Yankees have done and uh, it just kind of feels as though it's going to be Yankee Dodgers in the World Series. Of course, we'll cover all of that next week on the show. We're still waiting to find out exactly what the matchup is, but we do know the Dodgers are there. Congratulations to them on winning the National League, and we'll see what happens uh, here tonight in Game 6 down in Houston between the Yankees and the Astros. Big thank you to uh, our guests here today on the show, Dennis Dodd, CBS Senior Sports Writer, as well as Jared Greenberg of NBA TV and Sirius XM NBA Radio, of course. Uh, big thank you as well to Steve Carp of the Las Vegas Review Journal in covering those Vegas Golden Knights. Big thanks to you, the audience, as well for being a part of us every single week. Don't forget, find us on Twitter and Instagram at Press Row PHM. You can find us on Facebook, Press Row Podcast Dash Public House Media. Uh, email the show, Press Row PHM at gmail.com. Uh, like, subscribe, rate, review on Spreaker.com, Stitcher.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, as well as iHeartRadio, and of course, our website, thephmedia.com. You can find me 
on Twitter at Chris Heimel. I thank you guys so much again for being a part of the show. I'm Christian Heimel. We will see you next week on Press Row.